Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I'm excited to bring you an interview from my recent tour of Southern California ahead of our Micromobility World online event. I flew up from New Zealand to be with James, Julia and the rest of the team to produce the event but while I was there I also took a chance to visit a whole heap of companies working in Micromobility either as vehicle makers or peripherally. I learned a huge amount especially from those who have been in the industry for a while and that is one of the conversations that I want to bring to you this week. Benno Bazinga is an OG of the bike space. He founded Electra Bikes back in 1993 as a recent immigrant to California from Germany and grew it through the 90s and 2000s till he sold it to a private equity group in 2008. The company ended up being on-sold to Trek and is now the fifth largest e-bike company in the US. Benno stuck around until around the early 2010s but eventually left to start Benno Bikes in 2015 with a focus on what electric bikes can bring to the bike industry. There's a few things that I really love about Benno. Firstly, as a company, it only has less than 10 employees. Benno has really understood the bike industry and what it takes to make great bikes. So they focus all of their energy on the very specific points they can as designers to make the great bikes and leaves the rest to others. It's a very different strategy to a lot of other companies in the space like Van Moof or Cowboy or a lot of the other direct-to-consumer brands that we have focused a lot on on this podcast. And so it is, of course, very interesting to learn more about how they think about it. Secondly, Benno is profitable, with no outside funding beyond the capital that he himself has put into the company. Just like the conversation with Josh Hon from Turn recently, I just learned so much about how the world works when I talk to folks with experience like this. It is an honor to be able to bring you material like this, and I hope to be able to get to do more of these in the future. It's always better to do these interviews in person. Finally, Micromobility World went great. It was one of our largest events to date, and we had more than 37,000 votes for the Rider Choice Awards when all was said and done. There was a lot of really excellent content that also came out of it, of which the relevant ones I will soon be putting up as podcasts. But till then, thank you for listening and giving me a reason to go out and find folks like this. And now... Benno. Let's go. And welcome back to the Micromobility Podcast. I have with us today Benno from Benno Bikes. How are you today, Benno? I'm good. Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, we are here in Benno's house <laughs> in Del Mar in California. An amazing house, by the way, like really beautiful, beautifully done. But yeah, look, I, I, uh, I, I'm so excited to just like learn a bit more about the background of, of the story here. So can you take us through what Benno Bikes is, what you do, how long you've been around, that sort of thing? Yeah, Benno Bikes was uh, officially founded in 2015, but I think I started working on it uh, two or three years earlier. Mm. So we do, uh, at the beginning, you know, it was just kind of like a quest, you know, uh, but then it kind of developed into uh, a company. Now we're doing doing cargo bikes, we're doing Mm. e-bikes, we're doing what we call utility. Mm -hmm. You know, basically what I believe is that, you know, maybe some of the cargo bikes are too heavy and too capable. Some of the regular bikes are not enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what we are thinking, things are going to meet up in the middle. Yeah. You know, and so we kind of focus on that in between 
what I call, you know, try to make a regular bike uh, that's more capable, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm kind of working on the new, what I would like to say is a new standard. Yeah. You know, the real new vehicle that is going to get people to ride more bikes for transportation. Mm. And, uh, you know, we got a few different models that we put out. You know, we sell in 16 countries. And, uh, you know, we just... Uh, eager to develop and do more stuff you know and i know nobody ever reveals their sales numbers but do you you know what what would you feel comfortable about saying in terms of size uh, that you're at now hmm it's a good question i i think we are at a very comfortable size Mm. you know where we have enough reach and we have enough uh where we move enough product you know to have a a good foundation and have very good funding for development and for Mm. you know or uh, upcoming marketing and everything. So I feel like from a, in a very good place and a very seasoned place to really grow. Mm, mm, awesome. And we were just talking before and, it, you know, one thing that I was kind of blown away with is like how small you are as a team, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I almost don't know how to say it. Uh, I, I had a little interview last week and I was trying to word it in the, in a good way, but mm. the, the way I had a word it was we are like a team uh, of less than 10 people. Yeah, wow. We scattered all around the world. Mm. You know, I mean, we have people in, you know, I'm here. We have a, my business partner is in Austria. Uh, we have a warranty person in Italy. And uh, we have a little partner office in Taiwan. And, and so it's been interesting because it kind of grew that way. You know, when I started the business, I didn't really want the big office and and that was pre-COVID, like, mm. you know, it was kind of like a foreign concept. But I wanted something very lean and direct and not a lot of meetings. And I just, you know, I wanted a business model that would allow me to do what I do best, which is, you know, the creative, the design, mm. the visionary part. And I didn't want to be bogged down by lots of employees or big warehouses or, yeah. you know, managing a lot of inventory and everything. So I wanted to do this business, but I really didn't want to do this business. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you because there's a. We're going to get into the backstory of how, like, what you did before and and, and that sort of thing because I think it's such a fascinating story. But I do want to kind of get a sense of you know. So you sell into sixteen countries and you did. You've chosen to go through the independent bike route. You've you know, sorry, independent bike dealer network route rather than, for example, trying to go direct to customer or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you talk me through? So the you know the business itself has grown since 2015. Did you start out, you didn't start out with electric, you started out doing kind of general bikes, but you obviously shifted and now you do only electric. Correct. And the kind of key parts as well as so you've got a very simple formula for like the, the number of models that you carry. You only carry four models. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think that's a kind of- Well, I would say four platforms, yeah. Four platforms, kind of, You know, yeah. like different, different platforms. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. But you've got this real focus on design and I can tell that that kind of really comes through for you. So. Take me through that part. Like the, how does it work if you only have ten people to build a bike brand that's uh, selling in sixteen countries to two hundred? You know, you've got more than two hundred <laughs> shops that sell your bikes. Like, how does it work if you only have ten people? I'm so curious. I and because yeah. I think there's other people who will like happily go and buy. The reason I'm asking this is I've talked to a lot of companies that are like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're like we're really small. And we've only got a couple of people. But the bikes aren't that interesting. You know, they're just sort of like, oh, you just go and do a couple of bikes. And you're buying them off the shelf in Taiwan, putting them all together. Yeah. The, the thing that I, strikes me over the bit of I said, you really design these things. I mean, we have so many proprietary parts on our bikes, including the tires, tire threads. I mean, very few companies make their own tires. Mm. 
every one of my bikes has my tires on it, you know? And so I go in great detail, but this is exactly the reason because this is what I like to do, mm. you know? And if I would have built a huge company with a lot of people, I would manage the people, mm. you know, I would work for them. I would mm. work for my company, but I really want to be, you know, my main focus and my main passion for this industry is, is the creative part mm. to build the vehicles, to build the bikes, you know, to, uh, we were talking earlier about, you know, what what's so fascinating about it. I think this is a, such a great evolution uh, that we are going through, you know. And so now these bikes are becoming new vehicles and becoming mm. more capable. And and I'm mostly interested in this uh, in this journey, in this evolution, in this contribution, really to make better vehicles for that inspire more people to ride. You know, to answer your question, I mean, you know, it started off just me with a with another person, and then I got a sales guy and then you know um i i, I started uh, asking a, an old friend of mine to help me he's a he is a founder of ghost bikes in europe oh yeah, yeah cool yeah. you know very and we have the same history he started 1993 like yeah. i did we both built a company we both sold in the same year mm-hmm. you know but he was on the performance side of and i was more on the you know on the cruiser and the, the fun side and so it's been amazing to have him join. And together, of course, we have a lot of uh, resources and connections in, in uh, overseas, you know, for manufacturing and, and a ton of knowledge. So mm-hmm. we have, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, what, what I kind of was thinking a long time about is like, how could I have a bike business without actually having bikes? Yeah. You know, what I call, I had this policy called, you know, no no bikes, no boxes, right? Right. So how can I have a bike company with no bikes, no boxes? Right. And so I, the only model that I could come up with is like, you know, you need to be super lean. You need to take a very small margin and you can, you have to work with distributors. Mm. You have to find somebody that takes your product direct out of the factory, mm-hmm. you know, in containers. So you must find that tiny little place that, you know, that allows you to develop and to set up the bikes for uh, manufacturing and, and go in every little detail on this side, but then you must not get distracted by sales yeah. and local issues and shops. And, you know, you must, mm. you must learn how to let this part be done by people that are good at doing that. Mm. So I can focus on what I do. And it seemed like a pretty crazy idea, mm. but it got us here. Mm. You know, <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah. like you know what, and even people that call me crazy back then, they go, "Wow, I didn't think you're gonna make it." But yeah, I thought it was a very interesting uh, concept, and uh, and I think that's the reason why I started again because mm-hmm. I felt like I could keep it at a certain size. Uh, of course, our model has limitations, mm. you know, but uh, and we're probably gonna have to extend out a little bit. But I think it's been really interesting. We don't have a lot of lengthy meetings mm. and this and that and we'd be very effective in what we do mm. when you say start again i think i think there's uh let's go into that because you, you you started uh electra back in the day yes. uh, that was the that's a sort of when you read about you online it's you know founder along with the uh the other villain boys uh of, of electra and i you know that, that itself is a crazy story so can you take us take us through that part because i think like electra is now you know one of the larger e-bike brands in the US is owned by Trek and all that sort of stuff. You've obviously sold it and you know, they're not there anymore, but the, the early days of that, I mean, you've been around the bike industry for a long time. There's one particular part of the story that I really want to hear, which is apparently you did it via something with the Berlin wall. Yeah. 
Well, I uh, we started Electra in 1993. Yeah. You know, I was a little kid that grew up in Germany. You know, I'm, I love action sports, skate, mm. surf, snowboard. So I was fascinated with California, you know, kind of the, the aura of California in the creative sense and the action sports sense and the company sense. So I always wanted to come over here since I was a little kid, you know. Mm. And, uh, and when I came here, I wanted to do some kind of action sports lifestyle brand, you know, actually more clothing than bikes, you know. And so we, I started living in Newport Beach and there was a very big beach cruiser culture. And I thought that was a very cool, you know, kind of coastal mm. culture that I wanted to kind of play, have a clothing line around it, you mm. know. And so I started making T-shirts and stuff and, and, and with the themes of cruisers and retro and bikes and you know, and uh, and next thing you know, you know, we were thinking we should probably make some bikes, mm. you know, kind of make some bikes because uh, to explain people what, you know, have a bike and in a, in a closing shop is all the clothes around it, you mm -hmm. know. And so, you know, and so ended up people really like the bikes, you know, yeah. and so. Most people just buy a bike in to buy to put it in a clothes shop but clearly you know you chose the hard <laughs> but, route <laughs> and i was i was frustrated you know with the whole idea that i couldn't be in the, in the clothing industry so you know so i made the bikes became the fashion yeah. and and i really had to get good at making bikes you yeah. know and i kind of was called into that business you know mm. from a whole different angle but where the berlin wall comes in is my um you know, uh, my business partner and co-founder, Jano Erfurt, mm. you know, that I started Electra with, he uh, used to sell the building wall, mm. you know, and basically him and I, we met first uh, when I was still in Berlin and I used to run an advertising agency mm. right after I got out of design school. And he came in and he wanted a little flyer for for selling pieces of the wall, mm. you know, so I made it for him, you know, back in the day, it was a sheet fax for a fax machine, mm -hmm. you know, with illustration on it and everything. And so we met first and then later we met here again. And then later I saw, I told him about this company and then he's like, oh, I want to do this. And mm. so, you know, so some of the funding for Electra came actually from the sale of the, of the building wall. I love it. So such a good story. Go America. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. It was cool, you know, and we came here and we tried to sell these, you know, very American bikes. I yeah, mean, yeah. this is like, beach cruises are like, this is America. Like, yeah. You know, so I always felt a little bit, you know, like, you know, we were the two European boys that came over here trying to tell Americans what American bikes are like, you know, mm. so it was a little bit of an odd position, you know, but they kind of have neglected these bikes at the time, you know, mm. in the 90s, it was just mountain bikes and, mm. you know, nobody was interested in cool, you know, kind of comfy, fun bikes to cruise around on. And yeah. that's what we focused on, you know. Mm. and uh, that's kind of how Electra was born and mm. in this evolution it was interesting there was a moment in time where our bikes looked amazing mm. but they didn't I did I, I noticed I, I didn't ride them very often mm. you know and so I kind of said to myself you know like if if you have a bike company and you make bikes and you don't like to ride them that much then that's not right mm. you know and so I realized I need to start riding I need to make a bike that I want to ride mm. You know, and so I ballpark. When would this have been? Like in terms of realization? Well, probably three or four years, five years into the process. You know, mm. I mean, first I was just busy making bikes. I mean, that's a, was new for me. And then yeah. you go to the factories, and I was very focused on paint and components and on look. You know, because you're mm. making these very elaborate retro cruises with two tone paint jobs and pinstripes, and yeah. you know, that that were never done in mass production in mm. the way that we did it. You know, mm. so I was very busy on that. 
But then going further, I realized, you know, I, I wanted to make a bike that I want to ride. You know, and, and any with anything in, in life, you know, when you get into something new, you you want to pay homage and you want to, you know, not rock the boat and you don't know anything. So you haven't paid your dues yet. So you must make bikes like everybody else. Yeah. But then there's a moment where you go, well, but I don't like what they do. Mm. And then I, I basically started playing around with different uh, geometries. And this is when the townie, you know, when we oh, created yeah, yeah. the townie yeah. with the flat foot technology, the forward paddling, upright seating, you know. All of a sudden, we had this bike that I love the way it ride. You know, it rode. You know, like mm. the, the way you sat on it, the way you rode it. And I really uh, and I kind of broke all the rules. You know, to mm. the place where all these people would say, "That's not a bike," and "What are you doing?" And you know, like I I I broke the holy grail. You mm. know, like that was wrong. But and you guys were still manufacturing your own frames at this point. We were, we always did our own frames, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Always. I mean, we always had our own bikes. We always had our own frames, and you mm. know. But at that moment, we were shifting to this new geometry, you know, that we call the flat foot technology mm. or whatever. With Electra still their biggest claim, and uh, filed a patent for it, and mm. uh, got it granted ten years later. But it it really kind of shifted my mind to the philosophy. I, I realized if 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 I could make a bike that I like, there would be a lot of other people that would like it too. Totally. You know, and I realized that I represent those non-bicycle people, mm. you know, because I didn't like to ride bikes in particular. It was a form of transportation when I grew up in Europe, mm. you know, but I didn't like him in, 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 as much as, you know, some real cyclists would like him, you know, but I realized if I make a bike that I like, mm. these people that are like me would like it too. And that was kind of recipe for the success, you know, it was just to being really honest to myself and sharing that with other people. And they go like, oh, my God, I like what you do. This is amazing. I love the way this rides. And so I think this was the success of Electra was, you know, the comfort and the style. Beautiful. And so that ended up being sold. Uh, well, you went through some sort of, pri- you went through a private equity process in 2007 and then it was sold to Trek in 2014. So what was that like as a, as a founder, as a, you know, um, someone who built the company up right from the get go. You know, we got to a size, you know, that that we were kind of thinking, you know, I, I don't want to say we got uncomfortable with it, but we definitely needed some more. We 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 felt like it was the right time to sell, and so we we had a the the transaction was like you said, two thousand eight was a private equity, and they came in and we got good funding, and you know, I was working in the in the company, and I really enjoyed it, you know, for. Uh, for about a couple of years, I was in it. I got to do the, I got a slightly bigger team. You mm. know, we had more funds to do fun things and they kind of stayed out of our business in a nice way. And so we were really, we were really pushing very hard. And I really enjoyed my role to freely design without a lot of the pressure and the weight of owning the business, mm. you know, and we still owned 20% at the time. Mm. And then uh, later on, they were trying to, you know, make the company more independent from myself and from Jano. And then Jano left uh, a little earlier. Mm. You know, he just he just wanted out. You mm. know, and uh, and I kind of stayed a little bit longer. You know, in the company. And then finally, I stepped back um, and let them kind of, you know, do their own thing. You know. Mm. And that was 2010, 2011? Yeah, about 2010, 2011. Yeah. You know, I kind of uh, I kind of gradually kind of moved out. I still had a 
space on the board mm. of directors. I was on the board and, and uh, until it got resold to Trek yeah. in 2014, yeah. actually. And, uh, and that's when we kind of, when I really kind of was completely out, you know, yeah. there's no more involvement in the company. Yeah, cool. So Benno. Yeah. And then you went to Benno. Well, <laughs> well we started, we started Benno. Yeah. Well, what, what happened really, you know, like, um, so the business, then I had a little daughter and I had a little time to, to ride, actually ride my bike, mm. you know, and I realized, uh, all the limitations that you have when mm. you, uh, when you start riding bike, but you, you can't can carry things or you can't take your child on it or whatever so i started playing with these uh cargo bikes at the time mm. these uh long tails that we that that they were available at the time and i liked what they did but i just didn't like the way they rode and they looked mm. you mm. know and so and i and i realized you know the when you add capability to bikes you you can ride them more often and then when when the motor came in you know when the e came in mm. It was just a game changer. Mm. You know, all of a sudden you could make these vehicles that could carry effortless, that you can go further, you can go uphill, you don't sweat. I mean, it was like it was like a light bulb went up in my mm. head. And, you know, I never liked e-bikes because I had this company called Electra. Mm. And I had to tell people for 20 years, like, no, they're not electric. Mm. Oh, they're electric. No, they're not electric. Yeah. So I were, you, were you against electric as a principle? No, no, it, no, there was no principle. I, I was never the kind of guy that, you know, I, I never had the, the emotions of cheating or whatever. Mm. Never, you know, it was just at the, everything that was done in the electric, in electric bikes from pre maybe 2010, you know, was very mm. geeky, very mm. weird, very, it wasn't very sexy, was or very interesting. Yeah. It was just very... It was bad, yeah. you know, and so I didn't want, want nothing to do with it, nothing. I'm like, no, this is like, this is all like garage shit, you know, mm. that I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't want to be associated with that. And my mm. brand was kind of cool. And, you know, we had these cool cruisers and we were just a cool company and I want nothing to do with that. Mm. So I always had to correct people for years. But then when, you know, all of a sudden it was companies like Bosch coming in and Shimano coming in and they're making beautiful motors and very well designed and great systems and super intuitive. Mm. Like, oh my God, you know, that was a game changer. Mm. Then I knew electric bikes are gonna, gonna go forward. Mm. This is a thing, you know, and then I realized, you know, now you get to make these new vehicles, mm. you know, so now I, I was fascinated about the evolution you know, like being part of this, designing the categories in the in the e-bike world. You know, mm. which one is going to be the next, the next staple bike? Mm. You know, that interests me. Like, I want to be remembered as somebody that contributed to this evolution. Mm. You know, so talk me through the bike design process. What did you launch with, and then what? I mean, utility is clearly like the 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 phrase that you use. But explain mm -hmm. a little bit more about that and what you were trying to what what you're trying to get to with that. Well, like I said, I was playing around with long tails mm. at the time. And, and, you know, I had this interesting experience. So when I would take my daughter to school or something on the bike and she was on the back, I would look like the coolest dad in the world. Mm. And I would ride home without anything on the back with this long tail and this weird bike. And people thought I was a weirdo. Mm. And I was thinking, you know, I didn't like that I was a weirdo for 50% of the time. Mm. <laughs> I wanted to be cool both ways. Yeah. And so I was thinking what kind of bike can I make yeah. that would make me cool both ways, mm. you know? And, uh, and I realized, you know, these long tails didn't have to be so long mm. 
to do what they need to do. Mm. So we started, you know, I really literally started in probably 2012, you know, was, uh, was the idea of making them more compact, mm. more compact cargo bike at yeah. the time. And so, and then, you know, it came from the frame geometry, came down to the wheel size. Uh, I was thinking 24 inch would be great, you know, not 26. Because uh, the turn GSD is like 20. It's 20. Yeah, those are 20. 20 yeah. So you're you're looking at something that's bigger than that. We were so, looking, but the turn came two years after we released our bikes. So they came out probably 2017 mm -hmm. with their bike. Uh, we officially launched the Boost in 2015, mm -hmm. but already been working on it for a, a few years earlier. Yeah. But I thought 24 was a great, it wasn't, 20, it wasn't so small, and then mm. it wasn't as big. And so we had a low center of gravity, you have a most, more stronger wheel, but you still have good riding capabilities. And so we still stuck to that for, you know, for the boost uh, for my flagship bike, mm. you know, a flagship bike. But at the end, it turned out, you know, the, the, our boost that we make is literally the same size as a regular bike, same mm. length, you know, but it has a longer wheelbase because of the, uh, axle to axle because the wheels are slightly smaller mm. so you have a more stable ride right you know and you have a lower center of gravity but ultimately uh it's a it rides like a regular bike mm. and it looks like a regular bike too mm. and so you design these bikes manufacture them with a partner in taiwan i assume mm -hmm. yep um how did you find the manufacture like going from I mean, I don't know quite where you'd got to with Electra, but I, but I assume there was some sort of like you'd started to offload some of the production. How, how did you find like, working with those partners in Taiwan and finding the right partner and, and building those relationships? Well, I mean, I, I've been in that business since 1993. So mm -hmm. that was hard. Initially, it was difficult, you know, to go over to Taiwan in the 90s and find a factory and don't know anything about bikes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I paid my dues, you know, I paid mm -hmm. my dues and had my moments. But, you know, um, I've been to Taiwan over 150 times. Wow. I probably spent more than five years of my life over there, all combined. Mm. And when it came time to uh, to start Benno and the bikes, I mean, that was least of my problems mm. because I had these amazing relationships that I built, you know, over years and and resources, you know, and I probably had a lot of favors too that I was cashing in on, you know, that people are going, all right, well, you know, you have to understand in Taiwan, there's a new guy every day. There's airplanes full of new guys flying in and telling the factories, you know, that they are the ones, you know, that they're going to make it. You know, it, it's an interesting dynamic. Like you think you go to Taiwan as a customer, but that's not what happens. Like mm -hmm. you go to Taiwan, the factories will look at you and they're going to look at you like a horse that they're going to bet on. Because mm. every day they got somebody like you sitting across, and go, oh, I'm going to make this amazing bike and it's going to be great and you're going to make a lot of money. So they're going to sit there and they're going to go, they can only make so many bikes and support so many people. So they're going to look at you and say, do we want to bet on this horse or on this horse or on that horse? And I think it's opposite. It's not you going over there with your money and you're like a customer. Mm. You're going over there and you got to sell yourself mm. why they should bet on you and not on somebody else. Mm. So I think that's kind of like how you have to look at it to find good suppliers. Yes. Unfortunately, it's a reversed you know, it's a whole reverse energy. Totally. From when you were in the tra traditional bike industry through to the electric and how that's played out, would you say that, like, how has the structure of the industry changed? What's the interesting changes that you've seen? Well, I think, you know, in the, what we call the old days, right? I mean, in a way, the bike industry was simple. Mm. 
you know, and uh, and our lead times were much shorter. Mm. You know, like in the old days, you could literally you would go to the trade show in, in the fall, and then you would get your purchase orders after the show, and then you would get you would make bikes in January, February, March, and you'd ship out early spring, and by the midsummer you sold out, or you you know you kind of you 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 would you would finish each year you would finish your circle, mm. you know, and now with the big lead times, it's like now you one year out, two years out. So now, you know, you're making, you already have everything lined up for two or three years. So it's very, it's very binding. You know, there's no, like, there's no way where you go, Oh, you know, uh, every summer you can regroup mm. because everything rolls into the next level already. You know, it's like the revolving door that doesn't have an exit anymore, you know, interestingly enough. So, that and of course the whole industry had to get more uh professional mm. i mean with uh with the whole e-bikes i mean there's people write more they write faster they write with more load so everything has to be improved you know brakes and components and tires and wheels and, and especially in my category you know where we have these uh bikes now that, that are have they rated up to 440 pounds 200 kilograms there is not even tests available that now there's slowly there's companies that starting to offer, you know, uh, tests that you could do mm. to kind of make sure that your bikes are kind of holding up to that can standard. Actually do what can they actually say. do that, yeah, you know, yeah, but probably. you have to, that's voluntarily like, like it's not required by law that you make these tests. Like mm. most of these cargo bikes are just tested at, at a regular bike level, mm. you know, uh, brake tests in the U.S. are only conducted at 15.6 miles an hour, while bikes go 28. Hmm. There is no test for a full load, full you know, full speed bike. So we are kind of in this transition period where laws and everything it's it's not set up yet to mm. be actually correct. And so as a manufacturer, you have to be proactive. You know, I make my own tests. I say, well, can you test this? Well, there is no test. Well, I still want you to test it. I want to mm. know. Mm. You know, so I've been. I've been finding tests and I've been, we've been creating tests that are not existing because I like to sleep at night and sell and keep my promise to the customers. So, and that means the whole industry has to step up. Mm. You know, the frame makers have to make much better frames. Then the motor integration is much more complicated, you know, so the entire development process is way more complicated. Mm. And uh, I think, you know, I was, I was saying earlier, I know if Electra was Ocean Pacific, you know, like uh, Beno Bikes is Patagonia. Mm. You know, it's, mm. a, it's a whole nother thing mm. that that we are doing right now. And of course, the units that these factories can make are much less per day, mm. you know. And so it's, it's a real big growth process for everybody in that industry. And now, you know, you, of course, you have all these people that never were looking at the bike industry. They're interested. You know, totally. car I companies, mean, motorcycle companies, because there's money in it. Mm. They go, oh, there's money. Yeah. So they're all jumping in and they kind of cluttering up the market. And then you have all these, these, you know, what I always call the the, 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 the young sons with the money from their dads that go over and they buy some bikes and have an e-bike company, you know? Mm. So it's a huge mess. Mm. I'm curious as well, what you think of the direct to consumer, like the folks who, have, you know, sell them on Indiegogo or sell them on, or, not even necessarily the Indiegogos, because I think the Indiegogos are sort of ramping down, but more the companies that go like, hey, we, you know, like the Red Power Bikes or the the folks who, who are saying like, we don't even want to go through, we want to go kind of bypass the, the way that the bike industry has done stuff 
today and go, we can build uh, really amazing content online. People want to buy the bikes. They want to buy it in Wisconsin. Great. We'll ship it to Wisconsin. If they want to buy it in New Zealand, great. We'll ship it to New Zealand. We'll ship it to buy it in Europe. Great. We'll ship it to Europe. You clearly haven't gone that way. And I know I had a fascinating conversation with Josh Hong from mm-hmm. Turn. He, like, his his perspective on this is is like, no, I'm building and selling bikes that are going to be used by families, and they want to get them serviced, and that's how we, that stuff has been solved for. So why would we go and reinvent the wheel? Seems like you're of the same opinion. Would that be accurate? What what's your what's yeah, your take I, on the industry in that space? You know, I I. I I have to take Josh's side on this. You know, um, I think uh, it's it's very complicated. You know, as a marketing person, mm. you know, as a marketing person, I hate the fact that I have so many layers. You mm. know, I can't really reach my audience. Like my message goes to distributors, goes mm. to dealers, goes to, and so I feel like a lot of times my bikes, my message, my my intent arrives very watered down. Mm. You know, at the end, you mm. know, because whatever they say in the bike shop is not what I'd be saying when I would be selling my bike. And I have no control over that. Mm. So trust me. And the same way they assemble bikes and everything. So I'm frustrated a lot, Mm. you know, and I look at every Instagram picture and see if it's assembled right. And if not, Mm. I'll, you know, because I don't want anything to happen to anybody Mm. because of, you know, uh, these kind of things. So you kind of have to kind of have to weigh it out. It's, it's a very complicated thing. It's very, um, you know, online direct is a very shiny object. Mm. It's very compelling, mm. you know, because you can make things less expensive. Maybe totally. you have some more margins. You have a lot more control. But I struggle, you know, I really struggle with the uh, assembly and the service part. Mm. Uh, bikes are, like I think Josh said, you know, bikes are not, they're not like a handbag. They're not like a radio. They're not something that you get out of the box and you set it up and it's done. They, they're complicated, actually. Mm. And people put themselves on it. They put now they put their kids on it. Mm. Now they go fast. Now they can go uphill. You know, with a motor, you get to go uphill as much as you want. Now you're going downhill a lot. And when you go downhill, you go faster than any of the speed limitations say. So next thing you know, you have your two kids on the bike, you're hauling downhill, you know, at 35 miles an hour. Mm. You know, are you are you comfortable as a father? to assemble a bike for your wife mm. to put your two kids on it when she goes down a hill with 35 miles an hour? Are you want to take that responsibility? I don't know, mm. you know, but this is kind of maybe like more of a personal choice, you know, mm. can these companies really enforce the safety that, uh, you know, and, and I think you, you kind of have to kind of mitigate that and say, yeah, I would love to sell direct, but how the, the the part that hasn't been solved yet in a way is how do you ensure you know the assembly the mm. the maintenance the everything is correct and people don't get hurt you know mm. and and this is something that I, I I can't I can't answer really I mean every company has to answer that for themselves mm. um, and it's well it's also hard as well because as you say the laws haven't really caught up like you can sell a technically compliant vehicle that someone can assemble at home that does all the things. But, you know, um, I, I, I do wonder about that. I do. Yeah. I think it's a general question that I think it's, the industry needs to be asking themselves about. What, look, what I mean, play. this is the total difference. And I was saying that, you know, I, I, right now there's two types of e-bikes, mm. you know, in the market, 
like in my category, in the transportation category, right? Mm. What I call you have toys mm. and you have transportation bikes. Like mm. once is for toying around and all the teenager kids and on the beach and mm. getting the dirty, wet, salty, rusty, whatever you want. Mm. And the other one is where people say, I want to replace my car. Mm. I want something that's reliable, that I can get on every morning, that I know my lights working, my brakes are working. You know, I can ride around the traffic. Those are two different categories, mm. you know, and the online business right now is mostly what I would call in the toy segment, mm. you know, and so that's different than what we do, mm. you know, like I think we are in a transportation segment and my stuff is, our stuff is, is very reliable, it's mm. technically very advanced, it's very safe, it's tested to totally different standards. Mm. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where this ends up, you know, where... Uh, Eventually, uh, of course, the the best model I think would be vertically integrated to have your own shops. Of course, you know where you have the entire control. Um, I mean, you can see that happening now with like VanMoof, you know, in, in 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 certain areas. Right. And and I think you know they've been challenged in other areas because of production scaling and and that, and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, it is. I mean, I think it's a really relevant and interesting question. You know, the other thing. Sorry, but the other thing I look at, like, you know, what was good about my model? I got. You know, I got a lot of coverage fast, you know, like if I would have tried to open up uh, facilities and online facilities and offices in 16 countries, it would take me a lot longer mm. and it would have taken a lot more money. And, you know, we might not be here today, you know, but by utilizing these existing channels, you know, it was very strong. It's robust. It's, you know, somewhat, you know, safe mm. for the service and everything. Uh, and uh, there's something to be said about that. And mm. if you think about you know, we in this in this e-bike race, mm. right? And so there's only so much time to put your brand on the map, mm. you know? And so you could be trying to fiddle around and, you know, and do everything yourself, but you got to be present in more places faster yeah, to really be a player in this, uh, in this industry. Mm. Speaking of the business side of it. So, I mean, it's it's fascinating that you you'd done a lecture and you're like, yeah, I want to start another bike company. Like, is that was that a proof of point? Because you think there's a really good business in here. And then the, the kind of corollary that I'm asking is because a lot of people say you get into the bike business and it's like it's a great way to lose money. <laughs> you know, it's not there's not that a lot of people I think have got into this industry and and haven't necessarily built businesses that that are you know profitable and and good and solid and all that sort of stuff. How did you think about that when you went and said, "Hey, I'm going to read. I'm going to do this again. I'm going to go and build another one." Did you think it was? What was the unique insight that you think you had around that? I didn't want to get back in the bike business. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, actually, you know, I I was actually working on handbags. You know, like yeah. quite frankly, I was thinking, you know, back to the fashion. Yeah. You know, back to what I have. Handbags are good. Yeah. You don't have assembly, no warranty, no, you know, no. It was easy. That mm. is a product you can put online and ship out and go, here, here's your handbag. Ooh, mm. Wow. Oh, my stitches are broken. Oh, here's another one. Mm. You know? Mm. Uh, so I was, I thought that was great. But, you know, I got kind of pulled into the bike business, pulled me back in, you know, by this experience of riding and and uh, and loading the bikes up and, and like, this is great. And the motors. And I was, I was just so inspired by this, by the new, ingredient you know like always say it was electro i could make them comfortable and beautiful mm. you know but those were only my two ingredients that i had to play with but when the motor came in that changed everything right now you can 
do a whole nother thing. And so, you know, ironically, I actually didn't get back in the business for the money. Hmm. You know, I didn't do that. I was, I was really inspired by the, like I said earlier, I, I'm inspired by being a part of this evolution or revolution. Hmm. You know, I'm really uh, inspired by the idea that one day you get to look back and say, look, you know, these guys were working on this to create these vehicles that now known to do this, mm. you know, and I mean, that's a, that's a lifetime opportunity, you know, mm. like having been in the bike industry for so long, having been in the non-performance segment in the transportation segments all my life, but now getting this, this new tool was very inspiring. Mm. So I was hoping I could make some money and at least because money is what pays for development money mm. is what, you know, keeps you in business, you know, and, and you have to make money in a business, but at the beginning, I just wanted to create actually. Hmm. How did you fund the company? Like, how have you funded the company to date? This is my own money. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. Right. No, never took any, never taken any outside capital. No, no. Wow. it was, a. It, and again, I mean, it was another thing. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't uh, putting a lot of money down because of my model, mm. you know, because I had, I was working with these distributors and, they were, you know, they buying the bikes. And, and so a lot of the funding was also, you know, provided by, I mean, they were funding their own product. So what I had to fund was development, tooling, some marketing, you know, uh, trademarks, patents, you know, that's the stuff that I needed to fund out of my own pocket and my time, mm. you know, people that immediately need to work. But so it was, it's all self-funded. And even today, there's not a $0 on, on debt on this company mm. or any credit line that I even have mm. you know, to run this business. But yeah, it was, um, it was just kind of part of the concept in a way, mm. you know, fascinating by the way, Crazy. just so you like <laughs> such an, I just love it. It's so, so cool. The, uh, you know, like what, what do you kind of look at and go, okay, great. So we've obviously got these, these models of these four platforms that we work with, you know, what are the things that you can see that are coming down the pipe in terms of, either technology or use cases where you think, oh yeah, that's interesting. Like I'm really excited about that. Well, this is a good question. You know, I mean, there's a, there's probably a technical answer, but then what I like to see, you know, I think what e-bikes are lagging, lacking right now, what, what they don't have is status. Mm. Like, first of all, you have a big mess of e-bikes uh, and everybody's confused. Mm. Nobody knows what to buy. Mm. And they go, oh, I got this great bike. And, and so I, I think, you know, like, a, uh, to me, you know, I'd be very happy about more education, actually, about what good e-bikes and what they are and what they do. Somebody, you know, sorting through this entire, you know, Chinese herb garden that we have right now going on, you know, that would be nice. And uh, the second one is, you know, like, like making people understand the status of e-bikes, you know, working actually uh, on owning an e-bike and riding it to work or doing that, it, it's, it, it gives them status. You know, like, like uh, I think you can get a lot more people to ride bikes if they, if it feels like I'm doing something amazing, mm. you know, and not only from an environmentally standpoint, but also look, I got this bike, I look good. You know, like there's so much more, uh, this is what I think is missing, it's status. Like mm. uh, people are not yet, 
I mean, I look at my neighborhood here and, and you know, everybody has a very expensive cars in their garage, but they all have cheap e-bikes. Mm. You know, why do they have cheap e-bikes? Mm. Not because they can't buy a nice one. They just don't know why they should buy a nice one. Yeah. And there's no status involved in this. And so as you can make this uh, activity or this this idea that you can go grocery shopping with a bike, it's, it's not for people that have no money. It's for anybody, mm. including people who have a lot of money, that mm. could take their Range Rover, but mm. they choose to take their e-bike. You know, mm. if you can, if you can grow that as a mentality, you know, that's the biggest shift, mm. right? And How do you think that'll happen? Because I agree with you, by the way. I, mean, I think it's, you, it's we can, and, and on the bottom, we'll make better bikes, yeah. bikes that are, you know, that can carry better, bikes that are, you know, have more accessories, more, you know more versatility, mm. you know, we can do all that. We'll do that anyway, right? Mm. But the big shift has to happen in, you know, infrastructure, but mm. also in in mentality. You know, mm. Like in the U.S., we have a, a really serious problem. You know, bikes are either performance or they toys, mm. you know, and, uh, and everybody that doesn't is not like an avid cyclist, you know, on a road bike or something. They, they look at bikes not like the way Europeans look at bikes. Mm. You know, mm. they, they know it's transportation and they know that you know nice bikes are better. And there is a sense of status to be to be uh riding a bike. Mm. You know, you can ride up on a bike and still but here it's like people go, whoa, you came with this bike. Like totally. I know. think also as well, I mean I was thinking about it obviously we're in Delmar and been staying in Encinitas, which is just a little bit further up the coast. And there's a new bike lane that's gonna be going in. And yeah. part of the thing about status right is at the end of the day it's like are you seen? Are you? Is yeah. there a place you can go where you can be seen with this? And there's, you know, that's kind of the thing about why people have cars. You rock up in a car, but to be able to do that, right? To be able to have that good infrastructure, it's, it's a hard one because I I want it to be quicker. And I there's a there's a part of me which is like, how do you accelerate that? Well, I think at the end of the day, we kind of go back to the beginning, which is like, is it a chicken and egg? Can you build the infrastructure? Or do you have to sell more bikes? I think at the end of the day, you just build really nice, compelling bikes. And I think our job at Microbability is just like what we try and do is it's work. close, right? Yeah. You gotta build, it, you put it with more compelling bikes, but you also gotta when it was I was make, gotta make them cool. Yes. And you gotta make the totally. you gotta make the activity cool. Yeah. Well you my know? girlfriend my girlfriend's um she saw Beyonce on an e bike mm-hmm. and, and it was like quite a material part of the decision that she would be interested in coming out with me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, but it's quite, well, it's like, okay. I mean, think about it. Like, you know, I always say it's a very simple cliche kind of example. But yeah. if you would want to go on a date, you know, yeah. like it, if, if, you know, what, what is it going to take? At what point are you going to take a bike? Yes. And ride up, like, instead of your beautiful car? Yeah. Like, and, and that's okay. That's even, whoa, wow, that's cool. Wow, that's a great bike. Wow. You know, mm. like, how do you get to that place, right? This is what I think is fascinating. It's mm. uh, there's another layer, mm. you know, and that's a layer that the bike industry does not understand. Mm. By the way, like this is the layer where, you know, and most of the bike industry right now, except some companies that have nothing to, like they're, they're not coming out of traditional bike companies, mm. but they never understand that non-cyclist consumer. So who do you think? Who do you admire in that space? Well, I think from who is making making it cool and mm. fun. And I mean, you know, I think Super 73 is doing one of the best jobs in, in you know, I don't completely agree with all their products and what they do, but as a company, uh, image, as a marketing, their photos, photo- 
they do, they make it cool. Mm. They are the, maybe they're the only ones that make it really cool. Mm. You know, and I, I admire them for that. Really, I do. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's 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 a very complicated thing, you know. And then now you got all these car companies that are coming in there, and they don't understand bikes. Yeah, they kind of they too they think too complicated. Mm. You know, they think cars, mm. and they're also not really in love with the bike. So you now you have these. It's interesting, especially this category that 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 we are in. Or I'm in is for transportation, like there's not a lot of love for transportation bikes mm. because most people in the bike industry, they are bike enthusiasts. So mm. they like the road bike, they like the mountain bike, right? And, you know, they just say people in the car industry, they're car enthusiasts. But who is really in love with the idea for somebody to ride to the grocery store on their bike? Mm. And it's also one of the most difficult things in a marketing way to make, make it look cool. Mm. How do you make it looked cool to go to the store with the grocery bag while these other guys are jumping off cliffs or they're riding the Tour de France, mm. you know? Mm. How do you, you know, some BMX guys get in some big air in, in some, you know, skate park? Mm. How do you do the, with the, how do you do the Red Bull racing of going to the grocery store with your, is, uh, with your e-bike? It yeah. is extremely hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's really funny. Like, this is stuff that I think about a lot, you mm. know, like, you know, you can make amazing bikes and, mm. and I, I, and we will. And, mm. uh, and there's more ideas to come and cool vehicles and accessories and more practicality. Mm. But all of that means nothing unless you, you have the understanding of the, of the people and the acceptance mm. and the, 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 oh my God, I want to do this too. Totally. You know, and it's, it's interesting with what you said about your girlfriend, like with Electra, I realized a long time ago. There's nothing that makes a woman wanting to ride a bike more than she watching another woman riding by and looking beautiful doing it. Mm. It's very simple. Oh my God, that's beautiful. Mm. I want to do that too. Mm. I want to look like that. Mm. So the whole idea, how do you get, how do you get people to, uh, you know, how do you present it in a way I want to look like that? That's why I think it's really important that, you know, our bikes look beautiful. Mm. And when you ride them, you don't look awkward. Mm. Like it's it's a big ingredient. Like you always have to look, you know, like there's a bike and there's a rider and you got to put them together. And if this together doesn't look good, how you ride your bike, how you sit on your bike, how you silhouette, everything about it, you'll never get more people on bikes. Mm. It must be beautiful together. Mm. Beautiful. What a place to end. <laughs> no, I mean, really not. I mean, sorry, yeah. Like, yeah. No, no, no. Hey, well, yeah, conscious time, but just, yeah. yeah, thank you so much. This has been such a fascinating interview. And, like, yeah, you're in, like a mensch. You've been in this space for such a long time. I just love your perspective on it. And, um, and, and I love that you think about these things too, because these are the things that we think about. And clearly, you, yeah, it's like, what can we, how can we help you and how can you help us? So, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time, Ben. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And, and uh, yeah. I hope, I hope I didn't go up too far. No, 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 no. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for cool. the opportunity. I appreciate you taking the time coming in.